0: By the way, that coffee is psychosomatic. So we play that to remind you, don't fall asleep. But it's, speaking of falling asleep, it's interesting. When I first started preaching and teaching and stuff, I would see people fall asleep during my message. I just did. I remember back in the day, you know, I just get really mad and, you know, I can't believe that they would fall asleep during my message. I just spent so much time. Now that I've gotten older, I see somebody sleeping in church. I'm like, isn't that great? They probably needed it, you know? (laughs) Your perspective totally changes. So I hope you don't nap. That's what the coffee's for. Because I do believe uh, that God has a word for us here today. I want to ask you a question. And there are many ways to answer this question. But the question is rather simple. The answer could be complex. But the question is simply, what kind of God do you believe in? What kind of God do you believe in? Now, there are many answers to those questions, to that question, but I, but I would answer it this way. I believe in a God who brings dead things back to life. That, that is the kind of God that I believe in. And so, as, as I observe what's happening in, in our nation, in our world, and within the church today, I really believe that we have some things in our society, we have some things in our church that over the last, I don't know, several decades have basically died. They're dead. And for the future of the church and for the future of our culture, they need to be resurrected. They need to be brought back to life. So there are three things we're looking at. We looked at one last week. The first thing we need to resurrect is personal responsibility. You have to take responsibility for the one and only life that you've been given. I have to take responsibility for my life. Now, we're going to look at the second thing today, and we'll look at number three next week. So where do we start today? Well, let's start with a story. Um, One of the greatest writers, maybe the greatest writer in the history of the United States, was a guy by the name of Ernest Hemingway. And Hemingway wrote a short story many years ago called The Capital of the World. And in this particular book, he tells a story about a distraught father who is alienated from his son. And the father is so depressed, he's so sad, he's so desperate for reconciliation that he puts out an ad in this newspaper. The setting of this story is in Spain. So he puts out an ad in this large Spanish newspaper, and the ad is very simple. It says, Paco, meet me. Tuesday at noon at the Hotel Montana. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. Now, the name Paco, kind of like John or Mike in our culture, is a very common name. So when Tuesday rolled around, there were 800 young men by the name of Paco that showed up waiting for their forgiving father. We live in a time in western civilization that is unprecedented where we have men and women who are desperate who are searching for their father. Forty percent Of all children in our country alone grow up without a father in the home. 50% of all kids watch their parents go through a divorce. I know what that is like personally. So if you ask me, what is the greatest problem in our country today? What is the greatest need? I would say, without a doubt, the greatest problem is absentee fathers. We have lost the sense of fatherhood of the family in our country and in the church has been disintegrated. We need to resurrect the power, the importance of what it means to be a father. Now, there's an obscure story that I found years ago, and I, I didn't really see it for many years, but there's an obscure story in the book of Genesis, which is the first book in the Bible, that I think gives some insight to the critical importance of fathers, Remember last week we talked about Joseph, you know, and how Joseph was someone that regardless of his circumstances, regardless of his suffering and the injustices, he took personal responsibility. Well, Joseph's dad was Jacob and his and his mom was Rachel, and here's a story about them in Genesis chapter 35 verse 9. Okay? Genesis is the first book in the Bible, so all of us here can find it if you have a Bible turn to Genesis chapter number 35. It said, when Jacob came back from Padan Aram, God appeared to him again, and God blessed Jacob. And he said to him, your name is Jacob, and his name means trickster or slickster. You know, he's a slick guy. He said, your name is trickster. It's Jacob. But I'm going to change your name, God says. You will no longer be called Jacob. Your new name will be Israel. So God named him Israel. Which means one who struggles with God. So check out verse 16. Skip down to 16. It says, Jacob and his group left Bethel, and before they came to Ephrath, Rachel began giving birth to her baby, which would be Joseph's baby brother. She was having a lot of trouble with this birth, and she was in great pain. And when the nurse saw this, she said, Don't be afraid, Rachel. You are giving birth to a son. But Rachel died while giving birth to the son. And before dying, she named the boy Benoni, which means son of my sorrows. The problem in this story and the problem with a lot of us in our culture today and in the church today is that we have not been named by our fathers. Now, let me be clear. I love my mom. I'm here today breathing, completing sentences, basically in the English language, because of my mom. Her blood is in me. Her DNA is in me. uh, Her prayers and her sacrifice are in me. Her life lives on in me to this day. You can call me a mama's boy. I don't care. Sue me. Okay? I had a great, godly, Christian mom. I love my mom. At the same time, We receive our sense of self, our sense of security, and our identity from our fathers. You are who your father says you are. That's the way God set it up. That's the way God designed it. That we would grow up in a home where we would know the love, the security, the discipline of a strong but kind father. And the problem is, we have several generations now of men and women who have grown up. Nameless, not named by their father, and they're searching and they're seeking for a sense of acceptance, for a sense of security, for a sense of affirmation, for somebody to tell them who they are. Benoni, son of my sorrows. a father a father's job is to give a sense of acceptance to give a sense of security to give a sense of affirmation to their sons and to their daughters that's what fathers do and as fathers fulfill their role they are trying to reflect though imperfectly the nature and character of God. Now, over the years, uh, I've had opportunities to talk to thousands of people about what it means to know God. And on that journey, many times I've talked to people who were far, far, far away from God. Many have been atheists, others have been agnostic. And what I found, not in every case, but in many cases, the problem that many people have with God or the reason for their particular unbelief is because somewhere in their past there was an absent or an abusive or a defective father. As a matter of fact, there was a a book written uh, years ago by a Professor of psychiatry at NYU named Dr. Paul Vitz. He wrote a book called Faith of the Fatherless. And in this book, he traced the history, the family of origins from many famous atheists, philosophers, thinkers, dictators, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, Albert Camus, um, you know, Mao Zedong, Adolf Hitler, you name it. And you can go back into their past and almost in every single case you find an abusive or absentee or a dad who simply wasn't there. So his premise is is that many people take the negative and hurtful and harmful experiences they had as a child with a dad, and they go on as an adult to project that onto God. So many times I've discovered the same thing in talking to people, that the reason for their unbelief is not intellectual, it's emotional, it's personal, it's psychological, So what was your father like? What was your dad like? Did he affirm you? Did he bless you? Did he prepare you for the rugged realities that life holds for all of us? What was your father like? And is there any chance that maybe you're taking some of that negative stuff and projecting that on to God the Father. You know, it's interesting that many times when when, we, when I talk about issues like this, knowing uh, how difficult and how challenging it is to be a single parent mom, to be a single parent dad, that may be the most challenging job in the world. And I think sometimes when you hear a message like this, you're like, Man, this is just so discouraging. Because, you know, my situation is so difficult because of what happened in our family. And, and you know, let me say this. In, in so many, many stories, and over three decades of serving this church now, some of the greatest dads and greatest fathers I know, I know grew up in homes that had a horrible dad. So so the idea that, well, I have a single-parent family now, the dad's out of the picture, the father's out of the scene, therefore, you know, my kid's going to be messed up and they're going to be on drugs and they're going to be in jail and everything's going to be a big, hot mess. That is not necessarily the case. Again, I've seen it time and time and time and time again. I think about my friend James, whose uh, father cheated on his mom and left the family. And James said inside of himself, listen, I am not going to do that. I am going to do things differently. And he is a phenomenal father and a phenomenal dad with two great kids. I think about Darren, whose father was an alcoholic and left his family. And Darren said, listen, I am going to do things differently. And Darren has grown up to be a great husband and a phenomenal father and has a phenomenal da- uh, and has a phenomenal children. I think about Carl, whose dad was in prison and he said, I am not going to be that guy. I'm going to do things differently. And Carl is one of the most godly guys and one of the best dads I've ever known who has two unbelievable kids. They said, I'm going to break the cycle. I'm going to break the chain. I'm going to become the father that I never had. And that's what they did. They became the father that they never had. And how did that happen? Well, somewhere in James's story and Darren's story and Carl's story, they came to a place in their life where they realized they needed a relationship with God the Father. And they turned their life over to God. They turned their life over to him. And, and they had this born-again experience, if you would. And they got involved in the church and they got around other dads and other fathers and grandfathers and they learned how to do it. And the impact that just those three men are making is phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It's my challenge. The guys here today, whether you have children, or whether you don't, we're all called to be fathers and spiritual fathers, is to become the father that you never had. Become that guy. Become that father. Because there are people looking at you and your job. There are people looking at you in school. There are people who will look to you and you will become another father in their life. We all have a biological father, our first father, but we all choose our second father. And as a follower of Christ, you have a responsibility, I have a responsibility to become that guy, to become a man, to become a father, to take responsibility for our lives and to be a blessing to others and to stop That cycle that's going on and on and on in our society today. Become the father. Become that guy that you never had. I love the promise in Psalm 68:5. God says, I will be a father. To the fatherless. I will be a father. To the fatherless. That's kind of the gospel, isn't it? God, the almighty, powerful God, sends his son. His son lives and dies and rises again. That we might know God as our Jesus teach us to pray Jesus said our father that art in heaven the early Christian creed we believe in God the father almighty that's how we grow that's how we're affirmed as men, as women, it's when we get in contact with the ultimate heavenly Father. No father can perfectly reflect the character of God. We're all broken and cracked and flawed. But God the Father can show us his heart. God the Father can affirm us. God the Father can give us that identity and name us and tell us who we are. Awesome. That's what it means to be adopted into God's family. I now have a new identity. I'm a new person. I have a new family. I am now with Christ. I am in Christ. He is my forgiveness, my righteousness, my hope, my connection to the Father, my security. My name is not Rejected. My, my name is not unacceptable. My name is not failure. My name is someone who is beloved and forgiven by the Father. And this Father sends me out to make an impact with my life, the one and only life that he's given me. You know, it's interesting what happened in uh, Genesis 35 from the story we read earlier about Jacob and Rachel. She died giving birth. The nurse is in the tent and she's pulling that baby out of the cold, rigid hands of her mother, Rachel. And the dad, Jacob, jumps into the tent and calls out to the nurse, what did she name him? And the nurse said, she named him Benoni, son of my sorrows. And Jacob said, His name will not be, but known I, but his name will be Benjamin, which means son of my strength. And it's through the tribe of Benjamin that came the kings and the royalty of the nation of Israel. To the baby boy grew up to who his father said he was.